So this morning, church, we're going to be continuing in our four-week series called Trenton Values. And we have spoken in the past about what it means to be a gospel-centered church and a word-focused church. Today we're going to be talking about what it means to be a health-minded church. I've used the term health-conscious before. I just kind of thought that maybe health-minded was easier to say, easier to remember. But I want to tell you a little story about something that happened a number of years ago. Um, I uh, remember I was paying enough attention to remember some of this happening uh, because I was old enough and I guess watching the news a little more uh, than I had when I was younger. But um, in about 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, some banks had decided to uh, enter into some different agreements to sell some investments uh, called mortgage-backed securities. And they were basically betting on the fact that who doesn't pay their mortgage after all? So there was a lot of security felt in this, in this industry as people were selling investments that were backed by people's mortgages. Uh, and the only way that this can go wrong is if the economy takes a little bit of a sidestep and people start defaulting on their mortgages. Well, and of course we all know that that began to happen. And so what happened was all these banks that were very, very big, it turned out that what was uh, shown to be true is that they weren't engaging in some of the healthiest practices. So they were big, but the fact that they were big didn't protect them through the midst of the storm, and many of them are no longer here. You can think of some banks that, uh, and some other institutions that used to be here, but were no longer here because they were big, but they weren't healthy. And so today, I, I'm, I'm reflecting on something that I told you in one of my first sermons here as your pastor, is that I'm not so much, as your pastor, interested in church growth as I am in church health. I want us to be more pure than we are pragmatic. And here's why. Here's the, the good news. is that healthy things usually grow. But if you put health as the, as, the, um, as the primary objective, growth many times happens. But if you put growth as your primary goal, a lot of times what gets sacrificed is health. I want to read to you from Galatians chapter 6 a couple of verses. We're going to be looking at a few different passages today. We'll be bouncing around a little bit. Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10 say this. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's, let's pray. God, this morning... I pray that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word. Because it's the word of God that does the work of God. We are lost. We are helpless. We, we don't know what to do except that your word instructs us in how we can be a church that magnifies you. How we can grow in health. How we can resist the enemy. How we can push one another along. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. How we can bear one another's burdens. As we talk about these things today, Lord, I pray that your word would go forth and would be useful in our hearts because we need it. God, teach us. Teach us what it means to be a healthy church. Help us to set our gaze solely on Jesus and desire to honor him above all else. I pray these things in the name of Christ. 
Amen. What makes a church healthy? You know, I've thought about this a lot because it's kind of my trade. And I've noticed that if you were to ask 10 Christians what makes a church a healthy church, you might get 11 or 12 answers. I've heard different things. I've heard some people say that a healthy church is a church that can pay the bills. Okay, very pragmatic kind of understanding of what the church is. I've heard, I've heard other people say that a healthy church is one that's really big. It has a lot of people showing up, filling up the pews. And we certainly want that, but does that make a church healthy? I also remember when I was younger, a preacher saying that you can really tell a healthy church if they're building a building. That's how you know if a church is healthy. I remember hearing that. Uh, clearly, I, I disagree with, with these things, but everyone seems to be divided over what makes a church a healthy one. And some of the confusion kind of arises from our history. We've been talking on Wednesday nights about a little bit of church history, a little bit about the doctrine of the church. It sounds very dry, but I think that those who are are coming on Wednesday nights would say that it has been a blessing to our souls to to look at what does the Bible say about what the church should be. I would encourage you to come as we continue to explore those things. But one of the things is we kind of figure out where we are on the map. We talked about this Wednesday night. If we don't do a little bit of church history, we might be tempted to think that uh, church is just kind of what it has been in our lifetime. So we need to kind of look back a few hundred years even to get a sense of where we are on the map, where we are in the midst of history. Beginning in the 1700s, there was a, a movement called revivalism. The first great awakening that happened in the 1730s and the 1740s was a a, a magnificent movement of God on the souls of people. There are stories of of people like George Whitfield and and others preaching in the cities of America, people streaming into the streets just to hear the sermon. Many times these men would, not with very much rhetorical skill, they would just read their sermons and people would be convicted by God of of their sin and and desire to see and to know Jesus. And they would would come with tears and desire to to know Him and to give their lives to Him. But later what happened after the first Great Awakening is some of the later Great Awakenings were not so much movements of God as they were movements of men. People, preachers, decided to figure out how can we make that first great awakening happen again? How can we almost make God show up again? And it it became to be a a movement, a a man-centered movement instead of a God-centered movement. And and a lot of emphasis uh, came to be put on a person's personal relationship with Jesus and, and making your decision for Christ and and, uh, and as a consequence of this, uh, the, the importance of the church kind of took a back seat. Because as we discussed on Wednesday night, those of, of us who were here, after all, going, going to church doesn't save you, right? And true enough. And true enough. But we also discussed that, that the church is Jesus' bride. And it would be offensive to you, I think, if someone said, Hey, brother, I love you, but I don't really care much for your bride. Don't really like her all that much. In other words, the church is, as as the church father Cyprian said, no one can have God as his father if he doesn't have the church for his mother. It's it's this connection that that when you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into the church. And and this, this, um, this relationship that you have with other believers is what pushes you on to Jesus. It's what holds you accountable. It's what keeps you uh, following after Christ. 
closely. And then the second movement, we talked about revivalism, but then the second has been called the church growth movement. I would even say that today you could go home and get on your computer and go to Amazon.com or something like that and just type in church growth and you can spend the rest of your afternoon looking at different church growth books and, and strategies for how you can grow your church. But then if you peel back behind the, the top surface, a lot of it is conversations and, and strategies about how you can get people from that church to stop going to that church and to come to your church instead of how you can teach your people to share the gospel and be lights in the world so that unbelievers can come to know Christ. That's how we want to grow a church. We don't want to swap sheep. We want to see sinners saved. So the revivalism and the church growth movement, they basically, uh, the one movement took an overemphasis on the individual and then combined it with a, a watered-down message. Anything that was, that was kind of difficult to say, anything that was uncomfortable was kind of pushed to the side so that we could try to make Jesus more attractive. But the reality is the gospel, while it's an offensive message, if we, if we begin to water it down, it loses its power. And so these two movements seem to, in their worst examples, not in every case, but in their worst examples, they, they produce the kind of, of weak Christianity that we see today. So friends, I, I suppose it's easy to throw stones at ideas that we think are unhealthy. It's easy to, to, to throw stones at things that we think are unhealthy that look big but not healthy the reality is we don't have responsibility for all the other churches in the world. We have responsibility for this church. And God has given us this church and he said make it pure, make it healthy. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ and he will return. He wants to find his bride pure. And we want to hear the words of our Savior at that final day saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So how do we make sure that we are a healthy church? And the first the first uh, point would be this. I would ask you to go to Matthew chapter 28, or you can just listen along. But Matthew 28, a very familiar passage maybe to, to most of us, uh, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we are tempted to think that the Great Commission ends right there. Go therefore, right? Go to the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But if you notice, there's not a period right there. There's a comma. And then there's another word and it says, teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always... To the end of the age. It's interesting to see here that the Great Commission is not done when someone gets saved. The Great Commission is not done at the moment of conversion. The Great Commission is only done, it's only finished in full, when, when believers are made to be fully devoted disciples of Jesus, who consider Him the only treasure, the most important thing in their lives. And as a matter of fact, He's the treasure hidden in the field. It's worth everything. It's worth selling everything just to buy the field so that you can have the treasure. Jesus is so worthy that we are willing to give up anything else in our lives. So that we can have him. Friends, I would ask you, have you seen Jesus that way? Has he become to you that sweet? Friends, that is what the gospel does. When it gets down into your bones, it causes you to see that Jesus is worth everything. The Great Commission is only complete when we are made disciples and when we are taught 
to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. So following Christ isn't, isn't a matter of membership levels. You know, we're, we're tempted to think about this. We go down to the dealership or something, and we, we buy the vehicle. That's kind of like conversion. We come to know Jesus, right? We just we buy the vehicle. But then when you're at the desk and you're about to sign the papers, they say, hey, would you like to buy the extended warranty? You know what the extended warranty is. It's what all those people from India call you about on your phones trying to, trying to get you to renew, you know. So anyway, but it's not like, a, it's not like a, an advanced membership. It's like, okay, yeah, I've got my, my ticket to heaven sealed because I know Jesus, but I'm really not going any further. I'm really not going into the discipleship stuff. The reality is, friends, there are disciples and then there are unbelievers. There's no such thing as a multi-tiered relationship with Jesus. You know him or you don't. A healthy church, yes, desires to see conversions, desires to see people come to know Jesus, and it desires to make the gospel known far and wide. But a healthy church is also committed to seeing fully devoted disciples of Jesus made. In a word, we could say this. A healthy church is marked by how well it makes disciples who then turn around and make disciples. That's what a, that's what a healthy church is. So how can we apply this? I would tell you this. We're going to um, actually fi- try to figure out some ways to do this in our men's ministry and even in our ladies' ministry perhaps. But I would say identify. Just go ahead and do it on your own before anybody asking you. Identify one or two people that you can just meet with or, or Skype with during COVID and th- that you can encourage and push toward Jesus and just talk about the scriptures with. Someone that you can bear your burdens with and confess your sins to and do ministry with. Find someone that you can have that kind of discipleship, sharpening relationship with that will push you to Jesus and that person that you can push toward Jesus. So the first point, do both sides of the Great Commission. Don't think that the Great Commission is done in your life if you have walked an aisle and said a prayer. In other words, do both sides of the Great Commission. Desire to be a disciple and to be, and to be taught to obey everything that Jesus has commanded There in Matthew 28. The second would be this. Commit to one another ministry. This is in Ephesians. uh, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6. I would uh, encourage you to read along with me there as I try to find my place. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. says this. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And of course, the passage that we just read, down in verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap, even if we, if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So why should we do this one another ministry to one another here at the church? It's because by our love for one another, people outside these walls will know that what we say we believe is really real. It will make it attractive. You know why I think that churches that do one another ministry really well, you know why I think they're so attractive? It's because they're actually so rare. It's actually so rare to find a church where inside people are confessing their sins to one another, bearing one another's burdens, sharpening one another, discipling one another, and pushing one another on toward Jesus. You know that the word, the word in the New Testament for one another, it's a, it's a verb, but usually attached to a verb, do this one another ministry, it's used 100 times in the New Testament. And the long and short of it is clear. We are to be a people 
who are for one another and who engage in one another ministry. Here's three parts of how to do one another ministry. The first is be unified to one another. About one-third, I said that a hundred times in the New Testament, the word one another comes up. One-third of those times, about 30, about 30 of those times, it's used in the New Testament to speak about unity. And how if you are really united to Christ, you will be united to one another. You'll be united to your brothers and sisters in Christ. That even though it's hard, you come into church, you bump, up, you bump up against other sinners, and other sinners bump up against you because you're a sinner as well. The reality is that the gospel is big enough to overcome this. The gospel is big enough to overcome the different uh, struggles that we may have in our lives and at your workplace and in your own family. The, the Bible says this in Romans 15, 7, accept one another. It says receive one another, in other words. Why can we accept one another even though we're, we're sinners? We can accept one another because we were sinners and Jesus accepted us. We had sinned against a, a holy God. Unholy us sinned against a holy God, but he received us anyway. And so because we have been forgiven our bigger sins, we can forgive other, their, others their smaller sins, and we can receive one another because we have been received into the family of God. It says in Colossians 3.13, bear with one another and forgive one another. And Galatians 5.15 says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Another way to do one another ministry is to serve one another. You see, the church is a venue, right? It's, it's a setting. It's a place where you get to come into and have an opportunity to practice what the Bible says. That the church is the laboratory. In other words, you can, you can do all of your daily devotionals at home. You can do all of this stuff, but you can't really work it out until you come into the venue, into the setting called the church. You get an opportunity here to bump up against other sinners, allow them to sharpen you, and have an opportunity for you to sharpen them. Because after all, none of us have made it. None of us, as we learned in Philippians, have arrived. We are the worst sinners that we know. Philippians 2, 3 says, count others more significant than yourselves. John 13, 14 says, wash one another's feet. In other words, do incredible radical acts of humility to love one another. Galatians 5, 13 says, serve one another. I would ask you this, just as a word of application. Assess your own life. Are you a one another person? If, if the church were filled with you... Would our church be known as a one-anothering church? A church that loves others well, that loves one another well. Thirdly, I would say this. This is how we can do one another ministry. By protecting one another. That's why we come here into the church. Because we understand that Satan, the enemy, is a, is a prowling lion. He's, he, he's prowling around seeking for someone to devour, the Bible says. In other words, and because of our own hearts... We have Genesis 3 hearts that are fallen. Jeremiah 17 says our hearts are desperately sick. Who can trust them? Romans 3 says there's no one who even seeks for God. All have turned away. Because our hearts are fallen, because we have Genesis 3 hearts, we're easily led astray. Even by the desires of our own heart. Our hearts are tricky. We have temptations, different ideas. It might be a vision of a certain kind of life. That seems more valuable to you than Jesus does. A, a vision of a certain kind of life that maybe one day you could have. Or, or a certain kind of relationship or some kind of happiness. There are temptations from our own hearts. Some of us are tempted more to anger. Anger seems to come natural. Some of us are tempted toward worry. It seems to just be the, the factory setting 
on our hearts. And then some of us are tempted toward desiring comfort, comfort at all costs. As a church, we have a responsibility for one another to keep one another from drifting away from Christ. Friends, this is why church membership is so important. This is why I believe in doing healthy church membership practices. Let me explain, as I did on just on Wednesday night. I know I've said that a, a number of times, but the reality is this. Church membership is not like a gym membership. It's, it's not like a membership to a country club. Instead, it's a covenant. When you get to come into the same room with other sinners, and you get to look them in the eye and confess to them, I am a sinner. I am the worst sinner that I know. And because of that, I need you. I need you to examine my life. I need you to watch me. I need you to love me. I need you to hold me accountable. And the moment that you see me drifting away from Jesus, the moment you see me acting in a way, in a pattern of my life that doesn't look like Christ, I give you the keys. I give you the keys and I give you the permission to call me out in love, to speak the truth in love to me. So that I might not run away from Jesus. My my heart is fickle, prone to wander. Remember the old hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And because we're prone to wander, because our hearts are just like sheep, they're easily led astray, we need one another to hold us accountable. That's what church membership is. And so we take church membership seriously. There are a few healthy church membership practices that I believe in, and and I want to, as a word of application, tell you about a couple of those as an effort to push back against some of the errors of our of of not our history, but the history of the of the church in 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 the United States that I mentioned earlier. Some of the excesses of revivalism and the church growth movement, not all of which were bad, but some of which have led us into a few unhealthy things. I feel responsible. To set up a place or a venue where where perhaps people who are interested in becoming members can can sit down with me and maybe in our Sunday school hour on Sunday morning and just get to know me, get to know our church, get to ask questions about how can I serve. And we can walk through our doctrinal statement and the Baptist faith and message. I have to confess to you, friends, I've been a member of a Baptist church since I was seven years old, but I believe I was in college before I ever read the things that my church said they believed. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000. It takes about 10 minutes to read through it. I've never read, read through it. I want to help folks who are interested in joining our church make sure they know what they're signing up for. I want to tell you a story. I was at a church that had implemented this and was doing this. And one Sunday morning, a, a new couple came into the church. And they desired to um, to, to come to the, that, that membership class. They wanted to hear more about the church and figure out what their next steps might be. And so... They, they went into the class. It was the first Sunday of the pastor going through this. They heard the words of the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Basically, he just read the doctrinal statement, and they walked out and said, this is not for us. So it's a, it's a healthy, protecting thing for other folks and for the church if we practice some of these healthy church membership practices. In his book, Jonathan Lehman wrote a book, and he entitled it something that I thought was really neat. He called it The Surprising Offense of God's Love. It it speaks to this. It's a a book all about church membership, and it talks about how church membership is a tool of protection. It's how the church protects itself and protects one another. 
is how a church says, yes, I see you. I see that you're following Jesus. I see that, yes, you're a sinner. You believe that you're the worst sinner that you know, but you're, you're repenting of your sins and you're trying to run after Jesus. I see that, and so I want to, we want to extend membership to you. We want to say that you, as far as we know, you seem to be walking with Jesus. But these things seem incredibly offensive to our 21st century ears where nobody... It seems like nobody should have the right to call another brother or sister back to repentance. But friends, this is the New Testament's very means of love, how we protect one another because our hearts are so fickle. And then thirdly, here's, here's another way that we can, uh, or, or lastly, the last point is this. How can we be a healthy church? We can be diligent to meet needs. We can be diligent to meet needs. Needs. I want to read a couple of verses. Titus chapter 3 says this. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. He says, in other words, the, the, the confession of Jesus is not enough to prove that you're in Christ. It's, it's, it's the engaging in good deeds that gives you the evidence that, yes, I have genuinely been converted. I am really in Christ because I desire to follow Him. See, when Christ comes in, He changes your heart. He changes your desires. He takes your old desires and gives you a new set of them. 1 John 3 says this, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And church, I need to brag on you here. In the short time that I've been here, what I've noticed is that if word gets around that somebody has a need, I mean, people just start snapping into action and people start pulling together materials and, and making phone calls and getting a group together and making sure. And, and it turns out if someone needed something, we show up that day and the stuff they needed, hey, look at this. After all, it turns out it got donated. We don't know who donated it, but somebody out of the goodness of their heart wanted to make sure that the, that the widow or the person over here who, who needed something had it taken care of. Friends, Trenton, I think you do this really, really well. I want to commend you on that. I've seen that when a need arises, people just throw together the stuff that they need to take care of it. It's this kind of love that the outside world will know by. That they will know that we mean what we say we mean. That we, when, we are, when we say that we are in Christ, we show it by being united to one another and by loving one another tangibly through meeting needs. Friends, there's so much more that I could say that could be said about a health-minded church. This is clearly just, if, if, if that subject were a book, this was maybe half of the introduction. But what I've offered today is certainly, hopefully, conveyed this point. That in the New Testament, the church is spoken of as the bride of Christ. God's desire is not always that the church be numerically large, but His desire is always that it be healthy, that it be pure that it be honoring to him. And he's given us this charge, and he will return to examine our work. So friends, I would encourage you, be diligent about one another ministry. Be, let's be diligent about healthy church membership practices, and let's be diligent to meet the needs of others so that we can demonstrate that we desire for God to take us from where we are uh, even further to where we need to be. And friends, last thing, all of this should be encouraging. You know why? Is because all of it, by God's grace, is within our reach. You can leave today and you can engage in healthy practices. You, you, can, you, can, um, 
You can make decisions even today, perhaps even before you leave the church. Decisions that are hard but healthy. That will make your spiritual life with Jesus more healthy and then as a result will overflow into the life of our church. There's a book that I read uh, or that, that I'm aware of one time that was called Do Hard Things. It's a Christian book just talking about how many times the things that we really need to do are the hard things. Friends, we have the opportunity. It's within our reach to do things that we know are hard but healthy for the sake of our own souls, for the sake of the souls of our family, and for the sake of our church. That we may be taken into the hand of God and made a more perfect bride for him. Friends, listen, let me encourage you. Let's be a health-minded church. Are you willing to do that? Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the, the challenge and the, uh, the sharpening work of opening up your word. Lord, I think all of us could say your word has the ability to cut us to the quick. It has the ability to divide the bone from the marrow, it says in Hebrews chapter 4. It has the ability to even discern the intentions of our heart. Lord, I'm not wise. I don't know everything that needs to happen in my own heart, much less the hearts of, of the people represented in this church. But you do. And your word has the ability to take us from where we are to where we need to be. And so, God, I pray that you would do it in my heart. I pray you would do it in every heart represented here today. Would you take us from where we are, make us more like your son Jesus, purify us as the bride of Christ. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.